Father, we thank you for speaking to us, that you don't leave us alone or without a voice, that in the midst of all of our struggles, we often hear you loudest. It's in our pain that we most clearly understand your will and your direction in our lives. And we would ask that today, as we're reminded by John what you are about and what life is about, that your spirit would grab a hold of us and speak to our souls. Give us your word. Grant us your light. Help us to understand who you are and all that you've done. And we ask that in your son's name. Amen. Listen, please, as I read. He's an old man. The one who sits on the stool and leans against the wall, eyes closed, face soft. Were it not for his hand stroking his beard, you'd think he was asleep. Some of the room even assumed this. He does this often during worship, and as the people sing, his eyes will close. His chin will fall until it rests on his chest, and there he remains motionless, silent. But those who know him well know better. They know he's not resting, he's traveling. He's atop the music as he journeys back and back until he's young again, strong again, there again. There on the seashore with James and the apostles. There on the trail with the disciples and the woman. There in the temple with Caiaphas and the accusers. It's been 60 years, but John sees him still. The decades took John's strength, but they didn't take away his memory. The years dulled his sight, but they didn't dull his vision. The seasons may have wrinkled his face, but they didn't soften his love. He had been with God. God had been with him. How could he forget the wine that moments before had been water? John could still taste it. The mud placed on the eyes of the blind man in Jerusalem, John could still remember it. The aroma of Mary's perfume as it filled the room, John could still smell it. And the voice, ah, the voice, his voice, John could still hear it. I am the light of the world, it rang. I am the door, I am the way, I am the truth, the life. I will come back. And take you to be with me. And those who believe in me will have life, even if they die. John could hear him. He could see him. Scenes branded on his heart. Words seared into his soul. John would never forget. How could he? He had been there. He opens his eyes and blinks. And the singing has stopped. And the teaching has begun. And John looks at the listeners And he listens to the teacher. If only you could have been there, he thinks. But the teacher wasn't. Most weren't. Most weren't even born. And most who were there have died. Peter is. So is James. Nathaniel, Martin, Philip, Martha. They're all gone. Even Paul the Apostle, who came later, he's died as well. Only John remains. He looks again at the church. It's small, but earnest. They lean forward to hear the teacher, and John himself listens to him. What a task. Speaking of one that he never saw, 
explaining words he never heard. John's there if the teacher needs him. But he thinks, what will happen when I'm gone? What will the teacher do then? When my voice is silent and my tongue is stilled, who will tell them how Jesus silenced the water? Will they hear how he fed the thousands? Will they remember how he prayed for unity? How will they know if only they could have been there and suddenly, suddenly in his heart, he knows what to do. And later that night, under the light of a sunlit shaft, the old fisherman unfolds a scroll and he begins to write the story of his life. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made by Him, and nothing was made without Him. In Him there was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could never overpower it. There was a man named John. He was sent from God. He came to tell people the truth about the light so that through him all people could hear about the light and believe. But John wasn't the light. He came to tell people the truth, who the light was, the true light that gives light to all who are entering into the world. The Word was in the world, and the world was made by him, but the world did not know him. He came to the world that was his own, but his own people did not accept him. But to all who did, to all who believed in him, he gave the power, the right to become children of God. They didn't become his children in any human way, by any human parent or human desires. They were literally born of God. And the word became a human and lived among us. And I saw his glory, the glory that belongs to the only son of the father. He was full of grace. He was full of truth. John told the truth about him and cries out saying, This is the one. The one who comes after me is greater than I ever was. He was living before I even came into being. Because he was full of grace and truth, from him we all received one gift after another. Yes, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. No one has ever seen God. But God, the only Son who is so close to the Father, He has shown us what God is like. Father, today we ask that You would teach us what John desperately is trying to share with us. This wonderful man who loved You so much, the last apostle living upon this earth, who speaks to us about purpose and intention in life, about You being light and hope and meaning and understanding about you being the one and only Son of God, the one and only life and light, the one and only Word. Speak to us today. Touch our hearts. Remind us. Remind us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. John, chapter 1. Let's turn there as we start this brand new series. And we begin to study what it is that John the Apostle tries to teach us concerning who Jesus is, who he was, what he has done, and how we can respond to it. 
as you learned from the story, this is the last book, the last gospel written, possibly the last letter written, period, by any of the apostles. John's the last apostle alive. It's written about 90 A.D. He'd been a pastor in Ephesus for about 20 years now. And as he ends his ministry, he writes this final gospel, this final history. And he doesn't write it as a biography of Jesus. He writes it with a distinct purpose in mind. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he says this, This is written so that you might believe. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may obtain life. You see, Jesus has shown us who God is, and he's provided us with a way to have eternal life and to defeat sin's purpose, which is to bring death into all of our lives. So his intention in answering this question is simple. He's saying, Who is and who was Jesus? That's why I wrote this, so you might understand. Who is and who was Jesus? Exactly how does it work out? He wants to clarify this. And so throughout this book, he doesn't present a series of teaching as such. He presents the center of Christianity. Because Christianity is really not about the teachings of Jesus. It's about the person Jesus. It's about the relation that he offers to all people who respond to him with God the Father and with himself and with the Holy Spirit. You see, Christianity is not about a series of philosophy. It's not about a series of ideas. It's not about a series of directions and laws and rules. It's about Jesus. And so John starts off incredibly powerfully focused on who Jesus is, as opposed to anyone and everything else. You see, to remove Jesus from Christianity would be like taking numbers from math. Taking the sun out of daylight. It's impossible. You can't have one without the other. Christianity is all about who Jesus is, what Jesus said, what Jesus has done, and how we can respond to him. All other religions focus on the teachings and the ideas and the philosophies of their founders and their teachers, but Christianity is all about each person responding to God through baptism, receiving him into their life, proclaiming it to all the other people, and then growing in that relationship with God as he speaks to them personally and corporately, reminding them that he is God and he's perfectly capable of guiding your life. That's why Jesus is the most remarkable, incredible, astonishing individual in all of human history. More books have been written, more music has been composed, more pictures have been painted poorly though, very poorly in most cases, More incredible dramas have been presented about Jesus. Trying desperately to present this picture of who Jesus was. Why do all the other figures come and go back and forth? Because Jesus is this remarkable Christ, the Messiah, the literal Son of God, who provides us with 
and understanding of who God the Father is. So John, over and over, simply brings to us clarity. This is who Jesus was. John chapter 1. If you haven't turned there yet in your Bibles, turn there now. Grab your outlines. Prepare to learn a bit as he leads us along. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the, When you hear the in the beginning, where do you automatically go? All Christians automatically go to Genesis. In the beginning. And that's his intention. He's, he's, he's trying to present to us the New Testament. It's all about the beginning of God's revelation to us. Not just through creation, but through his Son. And he says, in the beginning was the Word. Interesting. He doesn't say Jesus right off. He just says the Word. Uh, logos. This interesting idea or concept about meaning and existence and reason and life and understanding and interaction and connection. You see all those things that apply to the Word? In the beginning was the Word. You can't go any farther back than the beginning. And it says, in the beginning, spoken. That which was said started. Everything began with the Word. And at that point in time, it begins to move us along a bit. And he says, the Word itself was such a phenomenal concept. Uh, To the Greeks, the word logos referred to reason and intellect. Any of us have done any background or look upon the history of the Greeks. It's all about intellectual reasoning and thought and understanding. We think of Aristotle and Plato and all these logic professors, philosophers. Logos. He says, in the beginning was reason and intellect and understanding. The word. But he says it wasn't just the idea of the word. There was the word. There was that which everything else comes from. He was in the beginning. This rational understanding, this stabilizing, governing force of the universe that today we might call the force in terms of Star Wars understanding. This amazing something and other. But the truth is, He was the Word. He was the Logos. He was the message from God. He was God in purest form. He was ration. He was intellect. He was understanding. He was insight. He is the the logo of God. The presentation of God. Logos. And now to the Hebrew, when you start using this idea of word, to the Hebrew person, it was far greater in its portrayal. For a Hebrew, when we talk about this issue of the word, the action would come into play. So the word of God came to them. And then the result was... Because to them, when God spoke, it was about history. It was about action. It was about interaction. It was about promise. It was about hope. It was about direction. It was about what was to come. He was the Logos of God. He was the Word of God speaking to us clearly. Thought and reason, yes, but more than that, It was when spoken, it takes place. It was the creation that would begin to happen. Because he said it, it happened. And if it did not, it would not. The word of God spoke. So it's historical. 
to the Jewish mind. Jesus is the Word. He doesn't say it came to him or he understood it. He is the Word. He is the truth. If we go back to the law, it was often called the ten words of God. God speaking ten clarifications to all the people. So he might have a foundation to live on. But he says Jesus is far more than that. He is that which was before anything else was. He is the Word. And we're beginning to look and say, hold it, John, are you saying? Are you trying to tell us? And that's exactly what he is trying to tell us, that he represents all of God's action and creation. But also in Revelation, as God would speak in any way or manner, that when God gave his words a promise for guidance and judgment, that his intention and his motivation, all of this was Jesus portrayed through speech and shared through the mouths of men and women. He was the Logos. Now, for those of you the younger, you say, he was also the Lego, which actually is another Greek word which means connection. By the way, that's not where they got it from. Okay, so that's not... I did study I said, gee, did they get Lego from that? No. But isn't it amazing how God often does these types of things? It's like someone asked me, how did they get the word NASA? I said, I don't know, but the word NASA in Hebrew means to lift off. But we already know that NASA is aeronautical. Very good. Space. Man has not been before. You're getting the idea. But God always does these kind of weird things to me. I always go, this is incredible. How did you come up with this, Lord? He's always like having fun with us. Like, if only you knew how much humor God has. See, Jesus is humor as well. He is laughter. He's all that nuance, that dryness when you say something intending for people to understand something else entirely. That is Jesus, uh, the Word. There's four different traits that he speaks of here. He says, first of all, I want you to understand that the Word was eternally God. He was eternally God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he informs us that the Word existed from all eternity. At the beginning of time, the Word was there with God, and he already was when time began. And you can see how he's beginning to pull us into a grasp or an understanding as poorly as we can get a hold of it, of how Jesus was God himself, and yet God the Father was God himself, and God the Holy Spirit was God himself, and hold it, you're confusing me. You see, that's his point, is to draw us into this place of understanding and insight. At creation, the Word was present. It was with God. The Word literally means face-to-face. The Word was face-to-face. He was in God's face. He was of God's face. It's separate but indistinguishable from the Father. You can't tell the difference. He's so completely God, but he was still Jesus. Oftentimes people tell me, I don't get how that goes. I said, it's because he's God and you're a man, as I am. God's not a man. And we keep trying to turn him into that. Jesus represents to us God. 
And that's what John finishes up with. He says, we saw him, we knew him, we recognized him. He showed us who God was in spirit and in truth. And we saw this figure presenting to us in the body of a man. So he was God in a bod. Yeah, it's the best I can give you there. You're going, what? He's trying to give you this mystery. And he says, yes, this is the phenomenal thing. God is not man. He's not woman. He's far more than that. He's far more than anything you can comprehend. He is triune. So we have the triune God made up of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, inseparable and yet separable, united and yet apart. God, Jesus, was the Word, always present. The Word of life was with the Father and was manifested to us. That's First John 1, 12 and another writing of John which, by the way, if you want to do something of interest here, I would encourage you that as we go through the Gospel of John, also read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and you'll notice all the, all the variety of insights that, that John tries to give us here, trying to help us understand the primary issue of who Jesus was. So we begin to see the Trinity. We see the Word was eternally God, but it was also equally God. The Word was God. As much as the Father is God, the Word is God. He was God, He was with God, He was equal with God, and He was equally God. He's also essentially God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All three together. All three together, He's trying to grab us a hold and say, hey, look at this. He is God. Everything that makes God God, the Word possesses. In essence, In being, in nature, he is one with God. So the meaning of the verse is not merely that the word possessed divine qualities or characteristics, but that he participates in the reality of who God is. The word is with God and you can't separate him. He's three and yet he's one. Three in person, one in essence, eternally, equally, essentially. And then lastly, he moves to the last picture. He says, the word is creator God. So now he gives us the distinguishing characteristics of who Jesus is and how he operates as God. He is creator God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. Not one thing was made, is the way the Greek speaks it. Not one thing was made without him Making it. Not one blade of grass, not one bit of sand, not one drop of water. Nothing was made except that He chose to make it. He's the Creator, and apart from Him, there is no existence. There is no existence. That's why He's going to say, He is the life and the light of man. You see, God communicates to us through the revelation of creation, as we heard Ken so dramatically provide us with. And he speaks to us through the Bible, the literal word of God spoken to us so that we can understand and grasp who God is. As the prophet lays out God's word as God speaks to him and God verifies that word, this is true and Jesus comes down and says these things are true and this was not and so he speaks with authority is the term in scripture 
And they were amazed at the fact that he would speak with authority as if he was the what? Word. Because he was. He was. He was simply sharing what he had already shared. He was clarifying that which he had already written. He's the author saying, okay, this is what I meant. How many of you guys have gone back and looked at old music? See all old music and they have these great songs? We were doing the Eagles here a little while back. Hotel California. Okay, remember that? And we said, what does Hotel California actually mean? And we were down in Mexico and it says, Hotel California. It's the real Hotel California. You can check in, but you can't leave. I'm not going there, by the way. But you begin to understand, what are they talking about? And so I, I got to read and one of the guys showed up on 60 Minutes. He said, uh, he said, Hotel California, there's no Hotel California. Hotel California was the idea of all the stuff in life that grabs a hold of you that you can't let go of. It's all the materialism of this world. We're a bunch of boys in the Midwest. We get in here and suddenly we're overwhelmed. We're consumed by this new hotel that we are wrapped around us. Money and, and fame and everybody wanting a piece and everybody thinking you're incredible and you're like God. And here's Hotel California. You can check in, but you can't leave. We're famous now, whether we want to be or not. We have all this stuff now. We can't get rid of it. This is our life, whether we like it or not. That's Hotel California. Oh, the author explained to me what he meant. I had a lot of great ideas before he said that. Some cool things. I won't tell you how I came up with them when I was younger, but I did. You're getting the idea? Jesus is the author of life, of meaning, of the word itself. He is eternally God, equally God, essentially God, and he is creator God. You see, he starts talking about the relationship with the Father and with creation itself. He says, I was the agent of creation. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made. And God speaks to us, this creator that Paul clarifies later, perhaps trying to be a bit more erudite, perspicacious, whatever term you want to use, than John was. No, he said this before John said this, and this is what Paul said. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones of dominion or principalities or powers, intentions, motivations, that which is beyond this world which we cannot see. All things were created through him and for him. And he is in front of everything. And in him all things hold together. He is the God quark, the one and only Logos, the Word. And think for a second about your words, how powerful they are. We often forget how powerful many of you are teachers here. And you recognize as kids come back to you from 10 or 15 years ago and they say something like this. I remember when you said, and you're thinking, I don't remember saying that. I don't know how many times that I've gotten through with a message and I've had someone come to me years later and say, Pastor, when you said that, 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 and I thought, that is really good. 
Did I say that? Words are so powerful. I was at the retreat, the men's retreat, and we were trying to figure out what is it that God is saying to you and directing you to do. And I sat down and I, I began to write a letter to my oldest daughter to communicate to her how precious she is to me, how amazing she has turned out, what a wonderful woman of God she has become, and a glorious mother. And I began to write that, and as I wrote, and I wrote a page and a half, and I stopped, and I said, I've got to work on this a little bit more later, because I don't have the words to say what I want to say. He is the Lagos, the Word. And he desires to speak through us in specific ways. He's also not only the one and only word, but he's the one and only, we call it the life light, the soul light, the one who brings heart into the world and soul and meaning and, and understanding because words without heart don't mean much. They've gone to a concert and people there says, we love you, Pasadena. And they're in Anaheim, you know. There's no meaning. And you go, yeah, right. Those are words without real meaning. You can say, I love you, I care about you. But meaning translates those words into action that other people grab a hold of and understand and emote with. So this next aspect of he is the life light, he brings light and life to words and to action. So instead of just creation in general, now he moves to creation and how it provides and gives everything to us. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the what? Life. The life. He is all that exists that has beating and pulsing and meaning. And whenever we come upon death, we recognize the difference between the two. As you go to a funeral and you sit down and you see this person in there and you say, they're not in there. What you mean is there's no life here. They're dead. They're gone. I said, I know. It's amazing. But God is no longer in them. They've gone somewhere. And they exist elsewhere. But life is not in them. So I want to share with you some good news and the bad news. The good news first, you have only 24 hours to live. And you're thinking, well, what's the bad news? He says, I should have told you yesterday. <laughs> Words and meaning and understanding. Jesus is the word that gives life and that gives light and hope and substance and understanding and truth and insight comprehension, my favorite word, perspicacity, this sense of, wow, that was so, I, I get it. It's that aha moment when you're reading the word of God and you go, I get it. It's like, boom, whoa, light comes in. He is life light. He's the originator of life. He's the originator of the light. He's the light of this world and he gives direction for deliverance from the darkness that we find ourselves in and wandering about and going in circles, and he's saying, hey, over here, go this way, and he shines that light for us, and as we begin to follow it, we open up and we find ourselves overwhelmed by his light and the life that exists because of it. So he contrasts this picture of sinful humanity and the darkness that we all find ourselves gripped by 
to the light of God and the desire for him for us to experience wholeness and completeness and light. That's who Jesus is, the life light. The one whose moral character was so generous that he was willing to give up all that he had to give his own life. He spoke, he declared, he comprehended, he delivered everything, and then he gave the last thing he had to give in his generosity. He was full of grace. There was no ending to him. He was so complete in his presentation to us. I read recently that a single beam of light penetrates 50 miles of darkness. 50 miles of darkness. Psalm 119, 105 says, In your light we see light. In your light we see light. And we're reminded, darkness cannot overcome light. Light overcomes darkness. And you can hear John remembering the resurrection and the glorious light that came out of the tomb as Jesus himself stepped forth and said, Death cannot hold me down. Darkness will not defeat light. And that was this wonderful picture. And he says, you're a facsimile of the light. You're, you're a fact of light. You're a part of the light. You're children of the light. He says, allow yourself to let his light reside within you. And then you'll find yourself lightened up in such a way that you give grace and hope and meaning to others. And in so doing, you find it within yourself. It's in giving that we gain It's in lighting up that we gain light. It's in sharing that we comprehend. You see, it's all these wondrous things, the one who brings life to spiritually dead hearts and to the darkened souls of the lost. The light. Let's watch this little clip that just gives us a little picture of light. Light is expressed through our lives when we allow it to be expressed. We become light bulbs for God when we allow his energy to radiate through our lights, but it's our choice He's the life light, the soul light. He's the word. But lastly, he's the one and only son. The one and only son. He came and he chose to, to live with us, to tent with us. Second Corinthians 5 uses the same word when it says, we have this earthly tent that we live in that's full of brokenness and holes. And as it rains, it gets worse and worse. And the older we get and the more broken it gets, the less reliable it becomes. Paul says, oh, we groan and say, let me out of this tent that I might take on that immortal body that you desire for me that will never again be broken down and hurting and struggling and filled with cancer and all the struggles of life itself that bring us towards death. He took on this tent, it says, this body placed upon himself so that he might become life for us as he became death for us as well. He was the one and only, the son of God. A virgin will be with child. He'll birth a son who will be called Emmanuel, the incarnation. God himself born into a world through a womb, declaring the truth of who he was and what he had to become so that we might begin to experience life. He moved here. He interacted with us. He was full of grace He was full of truth. He was overflowing with generosity and reality and hope and purpose. Same word that's used for overflow here, play race, is used in in Matthew 14, 20, when it's about the the little boy who had the, the fishes and the bread. 
And it says that he gave them two fish and five loaves. And they said, is this enough for this some six, seven thousand people, five thousand men? And they began to chuckle among themselves. Jesus, you got something wrong here, dude. You're not thinking. This isn't going to work. And he says, just, just do what I say. And they began to take the bread and put it into baskets. And the baskets keep filling up. And they put the fish in the baskets and keeps filling up. And all are fed. Everybody is eating all they want to eat. And it says, all 12 baskets are still what? Full. And the apostles are like, he's full of grace. He's full of truth. There's no end to this. He is the beginning. He is everything. He truly is God. The Son of God himself. John the Baptist says, see him. Look look at him. He's the one, the one coming into the world. That's why John goes back. He's the one. He's it. He, he is everything. The one and only Son and light and life and word and purpose. And he provides grace to all those who would respond to him. And he provides truth to all those who are willing to hear it. And he shows us the Father. He says, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. If you look and recognize who I am, what I've done then you look and recognize who the Father is and what He will do. If you have any questions anymore, just ask. And when I answer, it's the Father answering. Who is God? I am. Scripture says it's not possible to see God. It's referring to our physical eyes. That because of who God is, we couldn't comprehend it with our eyes anyway. But we can comprehend with our rational senses. We can comprehend with our soul and God begins to speak to us and we begin to understand and comprehend who God is. And John says, I saw him. I saw him. He was God, full of grace and truth and reality. Wow. He is God. Let's watch this last clip as we close our thoughts. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. And without Him nothing was made that has been made. And Him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. But the darkness did not recognize it. The light shines through the darkness. But the darkness didn't even notice He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Even in his own land and among his own people, he wasn't wanted. But to those who believed him, to those who believed in his name, to those who believed he was how he claimed and would do what he said, he gave the right to become children of God. And we have seen his glory, the glory that a one and only son can only receive from his father, full of grace and truth. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became human and lived here on earth among us. And having become human, he stayed human. He humbled himself. He didn't accept any special privileges. He lived a selfless, obedient life to die a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that crucifixion. But it was our sins that did that to him. 
He was bruised and wounded for everything that we've done wrong. He was wounded for our transgressions, pierced for our iniquities. He did all this just so we could be whole. And God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue confessed that Jesus is the master of all this is the resurrection that the son came and gave his life that he extended an invitation to know the god of all creation that he offered us love when we knew no peace that he offered us relationship when all we knew how to do was keep and break a bunch of rules this is the resurrection that in his death we have come to know life that we can freely offer our life to him In the beginning was the Word. Vini, Vidi, Vici. Remember all that? Vini, Vidi, Vici. Can you say that with me? Vini, Vidi, Vici. Now add Theos, Vini, Vidi, Vici. It means God came, God showed, God conquered. That is the cry of the first chapter of John. And that's why John reminds us in 1 John verse 5, chapter 5, verse 4. Read it with me. It's in the bottom of your outline. I want you to read with me. 1 John 5, 4. Here we are. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. You see, to see him is to have a defining moment in your life. We see God and we know who He is. The one and only Son who speaks to us and lights us up and leads us to purpose and direction, to understanding, to comprehension, to a defining moment. Moses, the fire burns and he takes off his sandals. It's a defining moment. David faces Goliath. It's a defining moment. Peter faces his fear and speaks up as he's choked and starts to say, this Jesus whom you crucified. And it's a defining moment and the church itself is born. I spoke to my chaplain and I said, it's time for me to be baptized. I need to declare publicly my decision to follow Jesus. It was a defining moment. I was cleaning the bathroom because I was a janitor at Point Arena Joint High School. And as I was cleaning it, the Lord spoke to me very clearly. And I said, God, I no longer want to go into the ministry. I know what it is now, and I have no desire to be a part of that. I will be a janitor the rest of my life, no problem. And God spoke to me and said, no, you won't. You are going into the ministry. And I cried. I said, Lord, you don't understand who I am. (laughs) But he did. It was a defining moment. I was praying at a park outside of Biola University. I've been in ministry now for a while. And God called us to a particular place to do a youth ministry. And I said, but Lord, you don't understand. There are a bunch of heathens over there. Those people don't follow the word of God. They don't do it the way I think you should do it. And God said, Lee, 
this is where you're to go. It was a defining moment. And I speak to you today for each one of you and I say, God wants to have a defining moment in your life. And today may be it. Maybe today's the defining moment. Some of you are going, I need to be baptized. I go, good. Make a defining moment. State it before God. Make it happen. Start saying, Lord, I need to do this particular step. I need to be involved in ministry. Is it good? Make it a defining moment. Make it happen. So we're saying, I can no longer continue with what I've been doing. Great. Make it a defining moment. He is the Son of God. He is more than able to enable you to do whatever it is that you need to do today. And so I encourage you, as we finish up this service, think about what is God saying to you. Don't wait for somebody else to pamper you and do all this stuff for you. Make it a defining moment. Let God speak to you. He is the light. He's the life. He's the word. He'll speak to you. Let him speak. And then respond to his voice. Not to mine. Not to Eric's. Not to Danielle's. To his. He is the one and only Lagos. He's the one and only soul light. He's the one and only son of God. And today he's saying, let's, let's step up. Let's be what I called you to be. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come down. Father, we thank you that today is a day that we can begin to identify ourselves. We don't want to hide in the darkness. We want to clearly be seen as people of the light, as children of the light. And Father, there are steps that you've told us we need to take in order for that to be declared. So today I'd ask that you might help our people, our church body, uh, to take those steps. Uh, to be involved in that ministry today. Maybe they're, you're telling them you need to be in VBS. Father, Lord, I don't want to do that. I know I don't either, Lord. But show them if that's what they're supposed to do. And maybe today it's, it's to take a step of commitment to you. They recognize who you are. Lord, there's some people here who have come to that place in their life where they, they admit they're a sinner. They believe that you are God. They believe that you gave yourself up for their sins, but they still haven't taken that final step of commitment and choosing you as Lord and Savior of their life. And I would ask that you might help them to make that decision today to simply ask you and you speak to them as you own only you can speak. So today, Lord, grant us a defining moment. Speak to us clearly. Thank you as you do. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.